Um, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing this morning? Good, good to hear. Um, yeah, as obviously Craig has mentioned, I'm Hannah, and it is honestly a privilege to be here this morning to open God's word with you all. Um, but I want to start with posing a question to really get us thinking. Um, how much are you longing to be in the presence of God this morning? Just a little light-hearted thought for you all. <laughs> um, maybe you are here because this is what you do every Sunday. Uh, maybe you are here because another family member has dragged you along um, and you're not that keen to sit through a long-winded message and half-heartedly sing a few songs. Or maybe, just maybe you are here because you long to be in God's presence and you're expectant for what he's going to do in this place. As much as I would love for you all to agree um, that it is the latter one, I at least hope I can encourage and challenge you all this morning with this thought, that there is nothing better than being in the presence of God. So this morning we are continuing in our Songs for Summer series, um, and we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 84 today. Uh, so the authors of the psalm were uh, the sons of Korah, and they just described their deep longing for God and his presence. And it uses some strong imagery such as souls yearning and fainting and hearts and flesh crying out for him. So before we get into it, I just want to set a little bit of the context uh, to the psalm just so we're all on the same page. So there's a section um, in the psalms known as pilgrimage psalms. Uh, and these are commonly found um, in chapters 120 to 134. Uh, but a number of commentaries agree that Psalm 84 fits into this group as well. Um, and pretty much these psalms are Israel's road trip playlist. Um, every year the Jewish people travelled to Jerusalem to worship God. Um, and as they journeyed from, from their hometowns, they would sing. Now we all know music makes any uh, long trip seem shorter. Um, and there's nothing like a good jam session in the car. Um, and it was no different for them back then, except they didn't have the luxury of radio or Spotify on their donkeys. Uh, so they sung these pilgrim, uh, pilgrimage psalms as they travelled. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, God instructs Moses uh, to build a tabernacle. And essentially this is a portable tent um, where God's presence dwelt. Um, and the tabernacle uh, later on became the temple, uh, which was a more permanent structure in Jerusalem. Um, this temple had an altar where God's people made sacrifices uh, to him and where the word of God was taught and where they were able to sing joyful psalms to praise of praise and worship to God, very similar to the church nowadays. And then, sorry, then early in the New Testament, uh, Jesus was born and it was through him that God's presence was made known. Uh, his name, Emmanuel, literally meaning God with us. Um, in John 1, 4, it says, Jesus became flesh and made his home, or tabernacled, among us. Then he suffered a brutal crucifixion uh, where he was whipped, beaten, and killed for our sake. Uh, but three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And then later, Jesus appeared to his disciples, telling them that he had to go and he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell within them. When we believe this and repent, we are cleansed from our sin. We are welcomed into the family of God and we receive the Holy Spirit. So God's presence is no longer found in the temple. Instead, as Christians, we are now the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit here on earth. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? As his people, we have the spirit within us, and we can at any time draw near to him. 
So now that we have established a little bit of the background, uh, let's jump into the psalm together. Uh, it's important to note that this specific psalm uh, was, uh, was written, uh, when it was written, Jesus hadn't appeared yet um, and the Holy Spirit didn't yet dwell within its people. Um, so it'll be on the screen behind me or feel free to open it in your Bibles too. Uh, so Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Barker, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appear before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the first thing that the psalmist makes clear is his deep longing for God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And the word soul is a Hebrew word meaning innermost being. And for the psalmist, at the very center of who he was, his flesh and his heart cry out to spend time with God, to spend time in his presence. Picture a baby who cries when it's hungry. What's going on on the inside is fully expressed on the outside. I'm sure you've all seen it. When the hungry, an infant cries with its whole body. Uh, their hands clench into fists, their legs click and, uh, kick, and their whole face scrunches up. And this is exactly how the psalmist is describing his need for God with his whole being. In the same way, we as Christians should be longing to spend time in God's presence. The psalmist loves the temple. He loves, uh, he longs to be there because that's where God's presence is. His true longing is to be with God himself. And for us as believers, although we are all on our own spiritual journey of finding God, we, have, we don't have to physically journey to get there. However, it does require us to be intentional about spending time and being present with him. We can easily get distracted, just going about our day, doing our own thing, and sometimes we don't even acknowledge God at all. And this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit leaves us, but it shows that we have to be intentional about being in his presence and seeking him. This longing that the psalmist is explaining continues in verse 3, as he describes that he is somewhat jealous of the birds. Uh, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar. So at the time the psalm was written, there was a rule throughout several nations that meant birds were allowed to build nests in and around the temple. Um, and once they were there, they could remain rather than being killed or removed. <clears throat> and so the temple was surrounded by a large courtyard, uh, which had the altar for burnt offerings. And it's in that courtyard where the birds would build their nests. And these birds, in verse 3, found a place to lay their young near God's altar. And what happened at the altar? This is where bulls, goats, sheep, and even doves were sacrificed. 
and yet in the midst of all the death, the sparrow with her little baby chicks were protected and safe from all harm. And isn't this an amazing picture of God's protection over us? When the world seems to be falling apart, when we are surrounded by death and destruction and violence and sickness and famine and plague and war, we are safe in the presence of Jesus. The writer knew that when he was in God's presence, when he was worshipping God, when he was focused on God, that he was like that bird with not a care in the world, just singing songs of praise in the presence of his creator. And it's the same with us when we're in the presence of God. Is our natural reaction to worship him? Do the things that concern us lose our attention when we focus on God and who he is and believe that he is deserving of our wholehearted worship? The psalmist continues talking about other people that got to spend time uh, in, the, in God's presence in verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And the writer talks about those who dwell in God's house. He is referring to the priests and the temple officials. He understood the honour it was to work in the temple, getting to constantly spend time in his presence. So the psalmist knows that he can praise God anywhere at any time, but it was God's manifest presence in the temple that took worship to a whole new level. And nowadays, God's people have constant access to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if we work at church, in an office, on a job site, or in a cafe. Whatever we do, the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit in us, provides us with an ability to serve and praise God wherever we are. Then the next section of the psalm describes those who make the journey to Zion to worship in the temple. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. In other words, blessed is the one who finds their strength in God. Blessed is the one who's in this journey for the long haul. Blessed is the one who, when the going gets tough, praises God for who he is. And blessed is the one who endures to the end. The psalmist is describing those that get their strength from God and for those that rely on God to sustain, sustain them as their hearts are set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage means a long journey, uh, usually traveling to a holy place. For the psalmist, it was the temple. And for us, it's foreshadowing heaven. Each one of us is on a pilgrimage. We have a journey ahead, and none of us know how long it will take or what's going to cross our paths. But what we do know is that if we continue on in faith, God is constantly with us through it all. Then the psalmist mentions a part of his own pilgrimage in verse 6. It says, As they pass through the valley of Barca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And this is the only time in uh, the whole Bible that the Valley of Barca is mentioned. The Hebrew word Barca means to weep. And this Valley of Barca is referring specifically to a type of weeping tree, uh, one that uh, drips sap or gum-like tears. And some translations uh, literally say as they pass through the Valley of Weeping, they make it a place of springs. And the psalmist uses the Valley of Barca symbolically to illustrate a difficult and troubling path. The valley was believed to be a dry, parched land, which is where these types of weeping trees would often grow. And as people travelled through uh, this valley to Jerusalem to worship, they would pass through this dry, weeping place. It was a place of springs to the travellers. This landmark meant that they were well on their way to Jerusalem, and they were delighted and expectant, as they knew it wouldn't be long before they were in God's presence. And it's the same for us on the Christian journey. There are times that we may go through our own seasons of weeping and sorrow and mourning, 
This could be physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And usually in these seasons, we distance ourselves from God, and we no longer want to be in his presence. We may say things like, I don't feel like worshipping. I don't feel like God is doing anything. He isn't speaking to me, or I'm sweet. I don't need God right now. There was a time in my life five or six years ago that when I was going, that I was going through one of these seasons, I was feeling dry and started questioning whether I needed God anymore. I was thinking about potentially stopping youth leading. Um, and although I told myself I would still go to church, I knew that over time that would stop too. And due to a number of circumstances, God showed me what would happen if I made that decision. And it wasn't a path that I, was, well, that I wanted to go down. <clears throat> I knew that I needed to be obedient to what God was asking of me, regardless of how I felt. And so I made the necessary changes in my life and decided to continue on in my faith. And I can say that God... has truly brought me from a spiritually dry place and made it one of living springs. It's in times of weeping. It's in times of weeping when we need God's presence more than ever. He is the one who turns these dry seasons to a place which is full of his living waters of life. And that's why we have to continue to pray and sing and read God's word and fellowship with him and other Christians. And that's the true water for your soul. Verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength till each appear before God in Zion. Life can be tough and the Christian walk is sometimes harder still. Things don't get easier when you become a Christian. And that's one of the reasons why people stop following God. But if we take the Christian life one day at a time, one step at a time, and go from one prayer to another, from one time of community to another, from one blessing of God to another, we are able to grow spiritually stronger, even when we are met with difficulties in our life. When we rely on God to get us through, we go from strength to strength and are able to persevere through hardships, grief, and suffering. As the people travelled to Jerusalem, they kept their eyes fixed on the end goal, the presence of God at the temple. They continued their pilgrimage until appearing before God in Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. So verse 7 is talking about relying on God throughout the journey until they reach their destination. And Zion can also be referred to as the holy place or the kingdom of heaven. And so this verse also implies that they had an even bigger end goal of spending eternity with God in his presence. As we journey through life, we also must keep our eyes on that same goal. Hebrews tells us to focus our eyes on Jesus. We have to have an eternal perspective where we understand that this world is in our home and that all we do should be done in the light of eternity. Verse 8 and 9 conclude this section of the psalm with a prayer to God for this to happen. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. And in this prayer, the psalmist is calling out to God. He is asking God to be his shield in order that he might arrive, arrive safely in Jerusalem to worship God. The shield is symbolic of protection. The Christian life is also full of temptations and consequences. 
Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There are temptations which seek to lead us astray, and we live in a world that is constantly trying to trip us up. But if we choose to seek God, he will be a shield to us. Although we may trip and fall, we can get back up still seeking God, knowing that he will protect us. And then we get to the last part of Psalm 84, which describes the, the experience of being in God's presence. Verse 10 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible when it says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this makes clear that the psalmist's deep longing for God isn't out of obligation, but out of pure enjoyment. He truly believes that there is great joy and benefit to be had when he draws near to God, and he considers the presence of God to be far more superior than anything else. Verse 10 uses strong language to make a simple point. There is no place the psalmist would rather be. Better is one day in God's court than a thousand elsewhere. Is this how we feel about his presence? Are we looking forward to being more fully with him both now and in eternity? The writer says that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this is an interesting point because the sons of Korah, uh, who are the authors of the psalm, were once doorkeepers at the tabernacle. And the job of a doorkeeper, it wasn't easy. Uh, They would stay outside the temple to fulfill their duties. Uh, They would open the gates in the morning and close them again at night. Uh, They would receive tithes and gifts that the Israelites brought. They watched over the storerooms and treasuries to make sure nothing was stolen. Uh, They stood on guard, ensuring no unclean person would enter God's house. They stood for hours on end, day and night. And the psalmist had first-hand experience of this and still says there's no place he'd rather be. This verse reminds us that it's better to be standing outside the temple close to God's presence than to be inside the tents of the wicked. And the tents of the wicked refers uh, to those that were living without God. Uh, Living in the tents often meant they were well off um, and they had plenty of material possessions, enjoying whatever their hearts desire. So basically the psalmist parallels two different ideas here. The desire to seek God versus the desire to seek sin. So when the psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper, he is saying, give me any job, no matter how challenging or tiresome it may be, as long as I get to be with God. So how about you? What would you pick if you were given the choice? Surely we would all say anything to be with God, right? But what do our actions really show? And Paul describes it perfectly in Philippians when he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can, could gain Christ. Is that our attitude to God? Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The world is dark, but God will be a sun to us, to enlighten us and enliven us and to guide us and direct us. The world can also be dangerous too. And here God promises to be our shield to protect and save us from the attacks of the enemy. He bestows favor, and some translations say grace to us here on earth and honor and glory in the world to come. Favor and honor are connected. They will be given one after another. Romans 8.30 says, For those he predestined, he also called. For those he called, he also justified. For those he justified, he also glorified. Whoever surrenders their life to him here on earth will get to join the glory in heaven.
Then the verse says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And I think good thing in this verse can often be misinterpreted. Some think it means that God will just give us what we want and we expect good things to come our way. Things like more money, maybe a raise at work, or maybe it's just that if we go to church, we won't face any hardships. Instead, I think it means that God will not withhold anything we need in this life. The good things that are being talked about will benefit us in the next life. Therefore, if trials on earth will benefit me in the next life, then facing those trials will be a good thing. All that we need in order to prepare us to heaven, uh, to prepare us for heaven, he will give to us and it will be good. And it will be good for us and our spiritual growth. The Bible is clear that those who draw near to God will be blessed, both in this life and eternity. In Christ, we have received all the good things. And then the psalm closes with a summary thought in verse 12. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And this is the truth that we have seen throughout this whole chapter. There is a great blessing in store for the person who trusts God. If you long for God, you will be blessed. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like a father running to meet his prodigal son. When we long to return to God's presence, God will see us and he will meet us. And when we enter God's presence, we get the greatest blessing of all. It's better to spend one day in his courts than a thousand anywhere else. In his presence is joy and peace, light and protection, favour and honour and every good thing. The writer of the psalm loved to be in God's presence and worship him. He knew that there was no better place to be. When God is worshipped wholeheartedly, there is no greater joy and no greater satisfaction. Worshipping and glorifying God is what we're all made for. And as Christians, it's how we will spend eternity in heaven. Do you want a little taste of heaven here on earth? If so, do what the psalmist does here. Long to spend time in the presence of God. Cry out for it and pray for it. Tell God you want him more than anything else. And that you want to be near him and be with him. This life can be challenging. The journey may be hard. And through this, we have to remain in the faith and keep our eyes on Jesus. Be intentional about seeking him in all that you do. Are there things in your life that are getting in the way of uh, that are distracting you from seeking God wholeheartedly? Experiencing heaven on earth begins with longing, but it continues with embarking on a journey towards the end goal, step by step, day by day, being in it for the long haul. And Psalm 84 concludes that, the greater greater thing above all is to be in the presence of God. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we just thank you. Um, Just for, I guess, the message that Psalm 84 teaches us, that we have to long for you, Lord, that we have to journey with you through this life. But being in your presence is the best place we can be, Lord. And I just pray that as your people, that this would be our heart's cry, Lord, that we would be crying out for your presence, that we would want to spend a day with you rather than a thousand without you, Lord. We just thank you that you um, are here, that you can speak to us, Lord. And I just pray that even as we move into this next space of worship, Lord, that we would really truly know what it was like to be in your presence and that we would long for it. We thank you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.